This is We Are Vodafone, a podcast about technology and its power to change our world. From AI and the metaverse to flying cars and fruit-picking robots. In this series, we'll lift the lid on the exciting innovations that are changing how we live and work, both now and in the future. Imagine life without your mobile. It's almost impossible. In a decade or two, they've become attached to our bodies and entwined with our lives. And that's just for starters. Mobile communication is about to go stratospheric. In this episode of We Are Vodafone, the wild, wondrous future of mobile. A world of hologram calls, always having reception and ordering things you never knew about. I'm Tim Samuels, bringing you this series about the power of tech to drive change around the world. And to give us an exclusive peek into the revolution coming our way, I'm joined by Phil Patel, Global Products and Services Director at Vodafone, and Tom Griffiths, Head of Innovation and Future Business Models. Phil, Tom, thanks for joining us. Let's just take stock with mobile communications. What was your first phone, Tom, and what could it do? Gosh, you're taking me back now, Tim. Um, so my first phone, like many of my vintage, was the Nokia 3310. Bulletproof had the most fantastic gaming experience in the form of Snake and uh, introduced us into the wonderful world of polyphonic ringtones, which we uh, used to spend a fortune on with our pocket money. I am the same vintage. For people who are perhaps a slightly younger vintage, you had to sort of tap each number to get a letter. The text messaging was um, unreal. We all had very strong thumbs. We would always limit it to the tweet size message because if you went one character over, you get double belled. I can't believe how young you two are. My first one was one of those Motorola StarTech things. It was the size of a briefcase you carried around and it literally did one thing, make calls. And not to very many people because not many people were carrying suitcase sized phones around with them. Were you a, a yuppie then, Phil? Were you walking around, going into bars, leaving your phone on the counter to kind of say, hey, look at me, I've got a phone? I was a student at that stage. I, I couldn't afford the subscription for the first couple of months, so I carried it around and it didn't even work. A bit embarrassing, but it was super useful, especially when you're a traveling salesperson. And when those phones came in, it's interesting to think how much just kind of having a basic phone on you changed your life. What did it do for you, Tom? It gave a sort of sense of freedom. We were disconnected so you know as a teenager it meant all of a sudden having to hog the landline to speak to the relevant girlfriend of the era went away and you have that sense of freedom to be able to communicate in the moment make your own plans get out and about it was very liberating i didn't have a, a mobile at university and social arrangements involved sort of notes on people's doors or just trying to find them in the right pub it, it's kind of inconceivable now that you could leave the house and know that you weren't necessarily going to find the person you wanted to, to meet up with that night. Phil, what was the impact it had when you carried around your brick without a plan? Once it got connected, it was um, quite impactful. I was um, running my first startup. We were organizing teachers for students. If you could imagine the amount of calls you're getting continuously to organize teachers turning up to students, it just meant that I could actually engage in the business all day long. Whereas before, I would have to wait until I got home before I got the messages and made calls. And of course, those calls were normally in a time where people didn't want to receive calls. My whole day was actually useful instead of just a couple of hours on either end of the day. So it really just sped up everything. It was amazing. I mean, this is going out to 20-ish years. 
maybe a little longer for the for the Motorola. And then we kind of think what's happened since and the smartphone, I think especially, has ushered in so much change. And I guess it feels like we are on the cusp of going through another iteration. Does it feel like we're about to take another giant leap into the tech future? Absolutely. I mean, the next version of the internet, we're going to be introducing the experience, an immersive experience of actually being there. So bringing the concepts of presence to the internet. And so if you, if you think about it in terms of creating new communication experiences, you're going to have the ability to actually be with wherever your friends are. So you can see what they're seeing, hear what they're hearing, and be able to interact with them almost in real time. It's going to be much more emotionally powerful. In order to sort of realize this, though, obviously the, the way in which we consume and use the internet is going to change quite massively. We'll dive into the detail, Phil, of, of where we're going. But I, I guess it's interesting to think about what's coming down the line perhaps sooner. And one of the things I've been reading about is space-based broadband, Tom. You know, we're in the midst of a new space race and there are high-profile stories and some best-kept secrets around what's going on. For us, though, there are two things that are happening. One is that some device manufacturers are starting to include specialist chipsets in their phones. So we've seen that with obviously the new iPhone, which has a special chip in it, which means you can communicate through an emergency signal if you know, you're up a mountain, as an example, or you need emergency assistance. And that's going to become more prevalent. We saw a lot from Mobile Congress on that in the last few weeks. What's really exciting us, though, is a very, very clever technology which allows any existing 4G or 5G device to communicate with satellite without any additional hardware. That, we just think, is game-changing. On a very practical level, for anyone who's got 4 or 5G, what's that going to mean? It will mean that not spots don't exist anymore. The days of driving down the motorway and lost signal, it just won't exist anymore. This thought of pervasive coverage is really exciting. I mean, for many years, we've been talking about digital inclusion and connecting the next billion in a lot of these developing markets. This is the answer. The impact on developing nations, the boost for education, for just simple things like safety and security, this could close that gap. You know, mobile communications as you would have it today would be available anywhere, depending on satellite coverage and availability. It won't take that many satellites to give you this contiguous coverage that we really need. Once you have coverage and it's affordable, then people will rationalize getting mobile devices or take second-hand devices to give themselves coverage. Off the back of that, you get a second phase of innovation which occurs, where you get applications and services for these areas that didn't have coverage exploding. Well, when do you think this will become a feature of our lives? Well, I think you can see it already occurring today. I mean, um, a lot of the new technology is now in test. You've seen with SpaceX satellites already going into the upper atmosphere. I would expect some commercial availability in 2024 and, you know, really for this to become a little bit more pervasive in the years following that, 25 and 26. The digital inclusion piece is super important and why we're so passionate about this technology. So how can we support our customers in getting access to new experiences and things that they didn't even know existed without having to necessarily buy more stuff? And this is a really good example of that. So you don't need to have the latest and greatest phone with some complex chip or some new piece of technology. It's the, the satellite technology that's inherently designed to deal with all devices. It just becomes immediately accessible to the whole base. This is presence, near future, the sense of actually you can get 
reception anywhere in the world. Looking to the whole nature of the phone experience changing, and this is, I think, where it gets really interesting and exciting, is holographic calling, which I believe some of your colleagues in Germany are piloting. It's really about taking our existing video calls and enhancing these with 3D images. So, you know, when you're doing that video call, that Teams call or that WhatsApp call, instead of seeing a flat two-dimensional image, you're actually seeing a hyper-realistic image, a 3D image of that person. And again, this is about bringing that feeling of presence to digital communications. So you can actually imagine that you're actually sitting there with that person and actually experiencing a real conversation. It's going to be a lot better for virtual drinks than what we experienced during COVID, that's for sure. But if you think about presence and how it can grow confidence and assurance in some of these communications, like teaching kids and actually having a, a teacher that feels real, or doctors with remote patients, or even something I'm really passionate about, elderly care, the number of elderly people that have limited or no contact with humans every day, this is a way of delivering that realistic experience through digital communications. One of the biggest barriers to this has been in the past, it's required a lot of really technical equipment and you had multiple cameras swiveling around your body at multiple angles. And then the images we were creating were massive. The impact on your smartphone and on the network was too big. And what's happened just recently is the, a lot of these new startups are using AI technology to get around that so you can use your existing smartphone to make a holographic call to another existing smartphone. They're actually using AI to almost artificially generate the holograms. So you can use your existing camera and what the AI does is effectively create a fake image or an artificial image of you as a hologram that transmits it in 2D and renders it on a device. And so you can get away from the specialist equipment. The first use cases will likely be smartphone to smartphone. And then for some of the specialist applications, you'll be able to buy you know, screens, which you can do a specialist holographic image on as well. But I would expect that the real mainstream opportunity, which could occur in the next year or two, will be a regular WhatsApp video call, having the ability to convert that into a 3D communication experience. Would that be 3D for people's faces? Or if you sort of say, hey, look where I am, I'm halfway through the Grand Canyon and you sort of turn your phone around, the canyon comes to life as well. I mean, that really depends on the AI tech, but um, this is really just a very clever version of the same AI that's generating fake images today. And if you look at how fast that's advancing, I see no reason for it to not advance beyond face and body to actually external objects as well. You can see that already occurring with technology like Google's DALI. Tom, let's pretend you're not head of innovation, but are in fact a consultant in the National Health Service, what would an appointment with you look like over hologram and how could that medically be different? You know, it comes as no shock to all of us that the NHS is is not finding what other things straightforward right now. So it's looking at more the original ways of doing things and, and ensuring proximity to patients and giving them the sense of support and care but ultimately trying to do more with less. And I think what's really, really interesting with holographic and immersive experience, mixed reality experiences, all these capabilities, is it means that myself with my son, instead of having to go through the quite complex now arrangement of triaging to actually get him in front, physically in front of a doctor, we'd actually be able to shortcut a lot of that and have a virtual appointment where it's like the doctor is in the room with us. 
The other kind of extreme as well, to Phil's point around elder care, is how do we support what was in essence an aging population in many markets across Europe so that we can again do more with less, ensure that people can keep their independence but feel safe and also feel consulted. You know, my grandfather is a doctor in West Wales and he used to trundle around in his Land Rover seeing all his patients face to face. We're just not in that world anymore. We have to find new capabilities to be able to give those patients those same kind of experiences and allow those relationships to continue. This is ultimately about inclusion, right? The, the risk is with the way we interpret virtual reality headsets today it feels so insular and closed in a dark room with this oppressive thing on your face. But actually, it's more about augmenting the physical with the virtual. The terms which get thrown around now, I guess, are virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, and then this sort of notion of the, the metaverse and the next iteration of the web. And I think a lot of people find it very hard to delineate between those terms and what that experience is going to be. So if you could take us by the hand and lead us into this virtual world. Starting from what we're all very used to today, we have virtual reality, which doesn't really take into account the world around you when you're in a closed, immersed environment, right? So that's the first stage. So it's a bit like being in a stepping into a computer game almost. It's an artificial world. You're creating a virtual world or a virtual meeting room or a virtual space where you can come together and, you know, have fun, collaborate, work versus augmented reality, which is really about changing, adding to your existing environment. So, you know, for example, for a lot of people that use Snapchat or TikTok today, when you take those images or videos of yourself and you augment your lips, you put a crown on your head or whatever it may be, that is in essence an augmented reality. You're augmenting and enhancing your everyday life for fun, for work, for whatever your use. And then the next stage is then mixed reality, which is like augmented reality, but takes into account the context of what's around you. And that's where, for me, the metaverse, if that is your term of choice, is really going to start to gain momentum. That starts to then bring in another hypothesis around passive technologies. You know, today I'm talking to you on a, on a video screen or talking to you on a laptop in a world where actually you don't necessarily need that because all the intelligence sits in your glasses. All of a sudden, you don't need all of this active technology. Actually, the big screens, the out-of-home adverts, it could all be passive because, in essence, the intelligence sits within the glasses. Phil, does that mean that you might not end up carrying a mobile phone around? The data's in the cloud, it's in, it's in your glasses. You, could it be in a chip that's <laughs> implanted in you? Absolutely. And what will occur is as your glasses start to improve in terms of their capabilities, you'll need your phone less, just phone as we know it today, because you'll be able to see what's on the screen through your glasses. You'll be able to give it commands like you do today. Instead of pressing on the screen, you'll be able to speak to it and you'll be able to use your hands to gesture on a screen just like you would on your smartphone today. So effectively over time, the role of your smartphone will become different and you will move towards having these accessory-based computing devices rather than having to carry a smartphone around. So you might end up getting a, a phone plan for your glasses. Absolutely, but it's going to be the exactly same phone plan as you have today with some additional services to enable you to manage your identity, manage how you do payments, those types of activities. And when you walk down the street, I guess if you're not tapping onto your phone, if you want to send a message to someone, you might sort of make a hand gesture, then a virtual keyboard would appear. And you, you see people just tapping into the air with you. 
why don't you just say it instead and uh, it'll type for you. And so you wouldn't have to tap, you would just simply dictate. Some of the languages what we're starting to see becoming quite popular, ChatGTP and, and others, are going to be the building blocks for these future experiences because it's these large language models that will actually be able to interpret the context and potentially take neural inputs that will then define how you use the device. So you're not necessarily using your hands, but more directing the device through your thoughts or through a next best action. So guessing what you'll want to do as a result of the context you're seeing or where you are. I guess if we think about a day in the future where you've got AI intuitively doing things for us as well, maybe ordering and paying bills and how's our world looking? Let's sort of live through that day. So I think we're already starting to see some of this, right? So the reality is right now it comes through in your phone screen. So we already have some basic experiences. So when you wake up in the morning, you look at your iPhone or you know, your Android device, based on machine learning and saying, right, you know, I've seen that you've always drive to the same place Monday to Friday. The traffic is currently it. This, the weather is currently this. You might want to leave slightly earlier. It's taking context from the world and then informing your view. And I think that's what you'll start to feel. Augmented reality is really about enhancing everyday life. I can't think of anything that can't be enhanced. So, you know, you get out of bed and you're thinking about what to have for breakfast. I mean, having the ability for, you know, for AI to understand what's in your refrigerator and what's in your cupboard to make some recommendations for stuff that you could make on your way to work. I'm not sure if you've used the Google Maps AI, but actually a map that can recognize where you are and actually give you real instructions about where to go. Effectively, you're giving people superpowers. You know, you have the ability to listen to some people speaking in Chinese and know what they're, they're saying. You know, when your son asks you a math question, you'll have the answer on your screen in front of you. At the same time, you have lenses that will automatically adjust to your seeing capability to ensure that you can actually perceive. And so there's literally nothing that can't be enhanced with this type of tech. I mean, it's, it's really exciting. And when you're sat in meetings, you could be sat in the park, but in fact, it feels like you're sat next to a colleague at the desk. You could be seeing me sitting in your office in the virtual meeting room, but I could be walking the dog in the park. So I have the choice of being wherever I want to be whilst still participating as a, a working person. And could AI make you look smarter than you are if I'm you know, sat there with a t-shirt that I've just spilt a cup of coffee down could ai put me in a pinstripe suit maybe look as i know what i'm doing it certainly could it could even make you look slightly different to what you look today and i guess this is where it starts to get a little bit tricky as well do you think it will kill off email he says hopefully i had a situation the other day where my son says to me you use email <laughs> yes it could kill off email but today you know voice messages video messages it's largely killing off email outside of the official communication needs. And then you, you leave your virtual meeting and you walk back from the park. Your phone, your glasses, your chip, what will it be doing in the background? Will it be paying your bills? Will it be checking that you've run low in your fridge and ordering things? It's, I guess it's interesting to what AI is doing as a kind of almost a concierge for you in the background. I think this is the exciting thing about this new generation of AI. It's uh, generative. What it does is it learns from that context and then based on your responses or your needs, it learns and develops new routines to suit your lifestyle. After you drive to work a few times, it will start to know when you want to drive to work and how you want to drive to work. It will start to understand what music you want to listen to, depending on the, the mood that you're feeling that morning. 
that has the possibility of being a bit creepy, but at the end of the day, it's either enhancing or it's not. And you have the ability to sort of say, stop, or no, I want this or whatever. You're actually training the AI to be even more effective at understanding your needs and enhancing your everyday. I guess with technology, we focus on the awe and the wonder of what it can do for us. And we tend to forget that every technological leap also brings real challenges to society and unleashes forces we might not have expected. I guess what social media has done is it's helped, some might say, to put democracy on the back foot in a number of countries. How do you avoid some of the pitfalls that could come from this leap where as well as benevolent holograms, you might find propaganda is literally in your face and unavoidable and very, very powerful. Uh, you're asking a, a massive question there, something that many of the content creators and social media providers are grappling with today. The role of you know a telecommunications operator could be to assist with identity authentication could be to assist with ensuring that details about individuals as they move from one environment to the other, regardless of which digital company is being provided for, are still kept at the same level of authentication and credentials. And I think the operators play a role, but ultimately it comes back to the content creators and the principles and the policies that they're utilizing to keep up with people who are trying to use the internet, regardless of whichever form it is, for bad purposes. And I guess as well, there's a there's a sort of weird dichotomy. On the one hand, this technology has an amazing capacity to bring people together. But if we're all even more on our screens, and if our screens are literally right in front of our faces, it could also be quite isolating as well and give us a sense of sort of faux community at the expense of real community. Absolutely. But um, I'm not sure about you, but uh, I'm a bit older, so I dislike carrying a phone around all the time and needing to look at it. So having something that's a little bit less pervasive, be it smart glasses or whatever interface, I think is appealing. I think ultimately this comes back to, does it really enhance your everyday life or not? And how you utilize the technology. I don't think that changes per se with the new type of technology. I just think that the capabilities advance even further. So for the individuals where it's a challenge today, it could potentially advance and become more of an issue you know, depending on the person that's using it. Tom, looking to the, the long term, the kind of future that is almost too hard to imagine, are there any crazy ideas or kind of blue sky thinking that you've come across? You just think that is going to be absolutely mind-blowing if that can be pulled off. One of the things that's kind of a bit blue sky but it's starting to gain momentum is this concept of decentralization. Many people know this in the form of blockchain and cryptocurrency, but actually it could go slightly deeper. So we think about the evolution of the internet. The internet was, when it was first founded, fairly decentralized. So those of us that are old enough will remember, you used to send an email, the email would be downloaded to your computer, and then that would be it. Today, everything is centralized. So it sits on your Gmail account or your iCloud account, it's centralized. Most of us have grown up with the internet, only know an internet that is centralized around four or five significant scale providers. There's real momentum growing around a new sense of decentralization of the internet to the point, the conversation we're having about ensuring the internet and the metaverse and these new experiences are, are safe and not 
controlled by one or two or a number of entities, whether that's corporate or government. Decentralization puts the power back in to the people. In essence, instead of having one app developer that holds all the technology centrally within a data center, it acts as a distributed ecosystem. So if you're playing a game, actually you're one of the nodes on the network that enables the network to function, which opens up all kinds of new commercial models, economies, all these concepts that is only really possible to achieve what the purists say is the vision of the metaverse through this concept of decentralization. Will it happen? I don't know. Will there be experiences that are interesting enough that get the masses behind them? You know, what could the next Fortnite or Roblox look like? Would it be built on decentralized technology? Is anyone going to put the funding in place to make that ultimately happen? And will there be enough pull from customers at large to want to take part? Phil, what of all the ideas that you've come across and some of the kind of wilder ones, what, what most excites you? I think when it comes to the space of virtual reality, augmented reality, it's definitely the impact on education. Today, when we get educated, the traditional education is, you know, you sit in the classroom and the teacher instructs you. And through the use of smart glasses and generative AI, you're effectively going to be educated every day of your life. You're going to be told what something means, told how to do something, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're going to get to a situation where we're going to be experiencing education that's 10, 15 times what our predecessors occurred. And so... The impact on humanity is potentially massive because I think education is at the core of progress for us as a, as a society. The changes that you guys have talked about, I think are going to make what's happened in the last 20 years seem incredibly pedestrian. It's going to change the world around us, how we interact with people and communicate and learn and healthcare and entertainment and education. Do you think at any point people just say, oh, I've really just had enough of these glasses that I'm wearing and there's going to be a sort of retro demands for Nokias and Motorola's and just going back to, to the good old days of tapping out each letter painfully at a time. It's entertaining. I watch my son, they, uh, when they go out these days, they have a little uh, habit called uh, stacking. So you stack your mobile phones in the middle of the table and whoever touches the phone has to pay the next round of drinks. There are new sort of habits forming to ensure that people value physical presence and they value being there without being distracted by their device. And it's those types of habits which keep that balance between being present, being real with people around you versus using that tech. And I just think that that will start to occur more. I look forward to seeing things like uh, digital detox holidays a little bit more to completely disconnect us, and especially when we're with people that we love. It's going to be very interesting to see how intrusive these technologies are having the ability to pull that kind of safety cord and, and actually disconnect. Today, it's a case of just locking your phone in a drawer or just not touching it right, which can be quite difficult. But in a world where there may be, we don't have neural implants and maybe it's somewhat semi-permanent, you know, how, how do you disconnect from that? It's part of you. That's, I think, something over the coming kind of 30, 60 years that's going to be super, super interesting to see how consumers react to that what our behavior is going to be. Will it be deemed acceptable? Who knows? We shall see. Thanks again to Phil Patel and Tom Griffiths coming soon to a hologram near you. Join me for the next episode of We Are Vodafone for more techie insider tips. Till next time. <laughs>